Hi, it's Jonathan Rosen, and I'm beginning this episode of the show recording on my iPhone using the device that we're going to be discussing today. And today we're revisiting in depth a field recorder and audio interface product that we've covered in a previous episode of the podcast when David Edick introduced it to us. It's the Portcaster from Centrance. Now, full disclosure, Centrance has sent me this unit for review because, as you'll hear, it has some features that make it particularly attractive to blind people. But they haven't in any way sought to influence nor set expectations around what this review will say. I've made comments when we've looked at some of the other field recording options that we've explored about how cheap, plasticky and fragile some of these devices can feel. You wonder how long they're going to last. But when I got the portcaster out of its box, my initial reaction was the complete polar opposite. These devices are built in small batches in Chicago in the USA. They're made of aluminium, they're built like a tank, and they feel great to the touch. I have no doubt at all that they're going to last for years. These are a premium product in every respect, and we'll talk more about that a bit later when we look at the preamps. I've saved the best for last. Blind people who are serious about using today's field recorders often spend time putting together a cheat sheet so we can refer to it when we're navigating the elaborate menu structures that are common to these devices. When I was in the USA recently for the National Federation of the Blinds Convention, for example, I was using two field recorders daily, and I prepared for that trip by familiarizing myself with the functions on these menu-driven recorders I knew I'd use. But since I'm now back home, and I'm not using them very often because most of my podcast work is done here in my studio, I know that the next time I need to use these recorders, I'm going to have to consult my cheat sheet again and get familiar all over again. It is time-consuming, and it puts us, as blind content creators, at a disadvantage. But as we so often find, when a product is designed in a way that maximizes accessibility for us, everyone benefits. In fact, in this case, it all seems to have happened the other way around. Centrance produces products that have a distinctly analog feel in a digital world. They spend money ensuring that their products are constructed well and exhibit exemplary audio characteristics. And they believe that screen-driven interfaces are an unnecessary barrier between a content creator and their art. The Portcaster, therefore, has no screen. It has no menus, just physical knobs and switches. And that is music to the ears of many blind content creators. I'm recording this introduction, as I say, on my iPhone 15 Pro Max, with a cable going from the USB-C audio port to the USB-C port of the phone. With iPhone 15 now offering USB-C, Portcaster easily turns your iPhone into a powerful on-the-go streaming solution. I've got a Heil PR40 dynamic microphone connected to one of the Portcaster's channels. Now the PR40, while not being quite as gain-hungry as the venerable Shure SM7B, requires a lot more gain than many mics. The Jasmine preamps in the Portcaster are beautifully quiet, and there's 65 dB of gain. It's handling the PR40 without breaking a sweat. I've got a little bit of gain to go. We're not maxed out by any means. And I've heard recordings of this device making easy work of the SM7B. The device can also supply 48-volt phantom power for condenser microphones. 
Richard Mosen, yes, he is a relation. He's my son and a qualified audio engineer, is going to join me in a moment, and we'll give a detailed description of the layout of the Portcaster, which should serve as an accessible guide if you choose to buy one. But before Richard joins me, let's talk about who might buy one by being crystal clear about what this device actually does. Portcaster is both a standalone field recorder and a two-in, two-out audio interface. It's incredibly compact, so you can clip it to your belt or perhaps even fit it in some pockets so you have pro-grade recording wherever and whenever you need it. Plug it into your laptop or your smartphone and you can live stream with it or make recordings with your digital audio workstation of choice. It offers features geared specifically at streaming live events. Now, as I record this episode, we're in the middle of a general election campaign in New Zealand. Journalists now have the ability to stream content from wherever they are, bringing great joy to political junkies like me who want to hear as many press conferences and campaign events as possible. The joy I get from this abundance of material, though, is offset by the appalling audio quality of a lot of it. Often I hear audio where a journalist has put a microphone by the politician hosting the event while keeping another microphone close to them so we can hear their questions. The problem is one mic is panned hard left and the other is panned hard right because they're in two separate channels and the audio is being sent out in stereo. Some streaming services will only take the left channel of a stereo feed and send that out as mono, meaning listeners can miss out on some of the content. Portcaster has been built to solve those problems by offering the ability to mix the two channels out to a mono signal. It's a brilliant companion for live streaming events. I wish I could give Portcaster to every political journalist in New Zealand who is going live on social media and YouTube. So it's a very capable audio interface for streaming the spoken word. If you want to go completely computer-free to make recordings, you can pop a micro SD card into the Portcaster and record right on the device. The maximum capacity it will accommodate is a 256 gigabyte SD card. That's an awful lot of recording. You can use it as a recorder and an audio interface at the same time. So you can be recording on your computer and the Portcaster's SD card to give you extra peace of mind. It records two tracks. That means you can bring the stereo file into your DAW and if you prefer, convert the file to two separate mono tracks and do intensive post-production work. It'll record in 24-bit, 48 kilohertz. It has a built-in battery, which recharges from the USB-C port dedicated to power tasks. It's important to note that even if you connect this device via an audio cable to a laptop or a desktop, it is not going to get charged from this connection. Like a lot of audio interfaces these days, it requires a separate power source, and you would use a separate USB cable for that plugged into another jack, and that can lead to a battery pack if you're recording on the go, or to a charging brick plugged into a wall outlet. Channel 2 can either be another microphone connected via an XLR input, or your smartphone, which is connected via a TRRS cable. In these unfortunate days of headphone jacks having become an endangered species on smartphones, you'll need an adapter at one end of that TRRS cable. Which one depends on the phone you have, but it'll either be USB-C or Lightning. The TRRS cable sends to your smartphone a mix minus feed from the Portcaster. 
This means that when a guest appears in your recording via FaceTime or phone or WhatsApp or some other voice over IP solution on your phone, they won't hear themselves echoing back, but they'll hear you very clearly. You will need to make a choice in each recording between two local guests or you and an in-person guest. If you want to record you and a local guest and a remote guest, then the two of you who are local will need to share a microphone. The TRRS connection to a phone makes Portcaster a contender for recording technology demos since voiceover or talkback can be heard via this connection. There's also a 3.5mm input jack to connect an auxiliary device so you can play elements like jingles or other recordings in the recording that you're making. Now we're going to switch to recording locally on the Portcaster and introduce another product that they've supplied us to review. Does it look like it's recording? It does, yeah. <laughs> okay, because when you press record, one of the things that you don't get is any kind of beep or indicator that you're recording. What happens if I just keep pressing record? Let me see. I wonder if it makes another file or it just it still looks like it's recording, right? Yeah, it does. Okay, so that's good. So if you're not sure if you've started recording, you can just repeatedly press record and presumably that's working. So, in fact, why don't I just stop this and play it back before we get too much further. Okay. So that worked as expected. So no beep or any indication that you're recording, but you can press record as many times as you need to assure yourself that you are recording. What we're doing now is we are in the dining room and we're recording using another product that Sentrance sent me to evaluate. And this is a compliment to the Portcaster. This is the Sentrance PM1 Pivot Microphones. Welcome, Richard Mosen. Do you want to describe these pivot mics and how they work? It, it's quite interesting because they're about as small as you could probably get an XLR mic. It's just the XLR jack there with um, a little microphone just right on the end of it coming off at a 45-degree angle, and each one is coming off at opposite angles. So how we've currently got it set up is there's one microphone pointed at myself, and then I'm at at one side of the table, and then on the side of the table just to my left is Dad, and he's also got a microphone pointed directly at him. So I think that you could also arrange the microphone so if you're sitting across the table from someone, you could have the microphone each pointed at one person, which is quite good. But what you can also do with these mics is you can swap which XLR port they are in, which gets you an XY pattern with the mics, which is really good for getting an accurate sort of stereo sound, say if you're at a concert or something like that. They remind me of the microphones from a company I haven't thought about for a long time, which was called Giant Squid. And I don't know if they're still around, but back about 20 years ago, they used to be quite popular because you could get these tiny microphones we used to plug them into the brown note and that kind of thing. So these are condensers. So we switched phantom power on. Can we talk about the SD card? Because I got a new 256 gig SD card for the Portcaster mm -hmm. and it arrived today. And I put it in my little SD card reader and checked that as far as Windows was concerned, it was formatted. But I'll see if I can find out more information about the formatting that was required. Because when I popped the SD card into the Portcaster... It didn't recognize it. It wasn't happy. Richard was saying it flashed up an orange light, which yes. is obviously some sort of error, and we couldn't record onto it. There is a process for formatting the SD card 
Can you describe what you have to do to format the card in the recorder? Yeah, so first of all, you've got to make sure the device is turned off. The easiest indicator is there's three LEDs on the bottom which indicate the battery level, and if those are off, your device is off. So you've got to turn the device off and then hold down the record button and then turn it on by pressing the power button for a couple of seconds. At that point, the light will light up, I believe, orange or red. I guess it doesn't really matter. Because <laughs> you can't see the lights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point, you've got to press the play stop button. And then it, it actually took a, a little while to format, maybe like 30 seconds, in which point the, or- the light was orange. And at the end, it turned green. And that was the only indication that it was done formatting the change of the color so if you just leave it there for five minutes like it, it'll be long done by that point just if you want to be sure and you don't have a sighted person around and then at that point it's turned off so you'll have to turn it back on again to use it well i'll see if i can find that it might just be that you could format the card in windows or a mac with the right version of fat or something like that mm. So I'll check that out. These microphones are sounding very nice, and they're so small. I mean, there's no cable or anything. They just connect to the back of the unit. So you could leave these connected. If you were a field reporter and you just wanted a really good quality recorder ready to go, ready to record in the field, you could just leave this like it is, Mm. and you could chuck it in a backpack. These are additional accessories, by the way. It's another couple of hundred bucks to get the PM1 Pivot microphones for this but of course you can plug any microphone into the portcaster that you like shall we go through a rundown of what everything does it's really straightforward i mean it's not going to take too long my understanding is that the portcaster likes to think of the bit where the microphones plug in as the top Mm. but i think most blind people would lie it down on a table and they would consider the dials the top interface to be the top bit and have the microphone bit pointing away from you in which case you've got your left channel and your right channel these are xlr connectors and then you've got a trrs jack that we talked about so you can cable your iphone so then you've got a row of switches right and these switches are very difficult to switch i guess deliberately you've got to get a pen or i'm using a sim ejector tool from Mm. an iphone to switch them what do they do there's four across the, the top, and from left to right, the first is the high-pass filter. There's only one switch for that, so I guess it affects both channels. We have it off right now. We've got it off. Yeah. The next one along is the limiter for input one, which is the one on the left. And then similarly, the third one is the limiter for input two on the right. It seems to be off by default because when we got the recorder, it was off. And yeah. we've now enabled the limiter. So when I was recording on my iPhone before, the limiter was not on. And now it is. Yeah. And uh, the final one along is to switch between if you're using the XLR or the uh, the TRS on the bottom of the device. By default, it's on the XLR. XLR is on the left and TRS is on the right for that one. Which is why we're able to use these pivot mics because mm. obviously if we, if we had it on TRS, we would only be using one. Mm. Okay, and then we've got some dials, and I guess it makes sense to cover them in pairs because the top dials are for the left channel and the right channel input. What would you say the gain is set at right now for these condensers? I'd say it's set at like 95%. Oh, it's quite high, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not quite sure how far around 
like they they go but based on the markings it looks like it's very nearly maxed out you'd be able to see visually if we were triggering the limiter wouldn't you yeah so it doesn't have a very comprehensive level display it, we've just got one light for signal one light for peak and one light for limiter and as i'm speaking here it looks like it's triggering both the peak and the limiter oh so we're a bit hot i'd say so do you want to turn them down so that we're within range and sure i guess people can hear what the difference is between when we're driving the limiter because that is very high for a condenser mic to be way up there so okay i'll just bring mine down now as i'm talking until it stops peeking out so that looks about right okay and then i'll just move yours down to okay match I'll, it. I'll say something shall i i'm not the pheasant plucker i'm the pheasant plucker's son i'm only plucking pheasants till the pheasant plucker comes uh, how's that right it, it looks like we're not peaking anymore but uh we we're just below the point where we were so. Okay. Yeah. And I think I do hear a difference. So, I mean, the limit is really nice because it's not punchy. It's not like really breathy. And, you know, some, some limiters, you can really hear them at work. Mm -hmm. uh, but now this definitely sounds different. A lot less kind of acoustical bounce now because we are in a dining room with acoustical bounce. What have we got the input set to? Um, I'd say that they are set to maybe 80%. Okay. Um, they're at about three o'clock. Right. Um, if viewed from the with the microphones at the top. There's a tiny little nib on the dial, isn't there? It's not hugely tactile, but it is a bit tactile. Yeah. So the next row, what have we got in the next row of those uh, dials left to right? So the next row, the first one is labeled uh, mono slash stereo. So I guess it's your separation there. What this does is it is designed for streaming live audio and the fact that sometimes you want to send a mono signal out to a live stream. So it controls, I think, the stereo um, width all the way up to mono. Mm. Yep. What's on the right of that one? To the right of that is input slash USB. And I'm not actually sure about what that would do. I, can't, I know what that does. What it does is when you are connected to a USB source, like your smartphone or your computer, that control determines how much USB you hear and how much of the direct monitoring from the device you hear. So if you have it all the way turned to the left, you'll only hear your device. If you have it all the way to the right, you'll only hear the USB source, which might be helpful if you're using a DAW like Reaper, for example, which offers monitoring. So you can turn the zero latency direct monitoring completely off if you want to. But I think for a lot of people, you want it somewhere in the middle so you can hear the direct monitoring. And also, particularly as a blind person, you want to be able to hear what your screen reader is doing. Mm. Then we've got one more pair of knobs, right? One more pair. So the one on the bottom left, it says AUX 3 slash 4. Yeah. And that one controls the input where you can actually plug in via a line in some sort of other source so that you can play music. Or maybe if you're a journalist, you might want to play some actualities down a call or something like that. So you can connect whatever you like to the auxiliary and that controls the volume for that. Hmm. And the final one is monitor. So I guess yep. that would be your headphones out there. Yes. So that's all there is on the top, as it were, as we have it positioned. But then on the front, there are more sockets and dials and cool things. Yeah. Well, not dials, buttons. Yeah. But so on the top row of the of the front, the, the bottom, whatever you'd prefer to call it, <laughs> we've got four buttons. Uh, the first one is previous, and then following that is next, followed by play pause. Oh. So those would be for 
playing back your recordings. Yep. There's no speaker on this, as far as I know. So no. you need to use your headphones if you want to hear something back. Yep. After that is the record button. Yes. And if you've got headphones plugged in, the headphone jack is right below the record button. Mm. So that's an orientation point. Yeah. Yep. Next along from that is the SD card slot. There isn't a cover or anything for the SD card slot. So no. if you're pressing buttons back there, you have to be a bit careful not to accidentally eject your SD card. But I really like this because it is spring-loaded, so it's pretty safe and secure, and it's so easy to get the card out. I understand that the best way to transfer content is to actually put it in an SD card reader of some kind. I've got this really cool little gadget that has... USB-C at one end, USB-A at the other, and a tiny little micro SD card slot. And I use that to get things off the portcaster onto my computer. But it's so easy because some of these Zoom recorders, it really is a mission to get the card out. <laughs> yeah. So this is much, much better. It's just on the front, you push it, and it pops out really easily. Mm, nice. On the next row below that, you've got your USB-C port. So there are two USB-C ports. The left-hand one mm -hmm. is the one for data. So you connect that one to your smartphone or your PC to use it as an audio interface. You will not get power from that USB port. There is a second one, which we'll get to, and that second one, the one on the right of the unit, is exclusively for power. Um, it's not uncommon for audio interfaces to have a separate power source these days. So if you want to power the unit, you know, it has got a rechargeable battery in it, but if you want to power the unit, you will need to connect it to a, a charging brick of some kind. Centrance does not recommend that you plug it into another USB port of your computer to get power because it'll take a long time to recharge that way. Right. Yep. So next along from that USB-C port, it looks like a line-in jack. Mm -hmm. And after that, you've got a line-out. Yes, and you can control the level of that line out, but that's, I think, designed primarily for cameras, that kind of thing. And following off of that is the headphone monitor out. After that, there's some indicator LEDs, which um, there's just the three of them which indicate what level the battery is at. So it doesn't have a very high fidelity in telling you what level the battery is at, but right. it's fine. Okay. Then after that is your second USB-C port. Right. We about earlier. So the right-hand one is for power. The left-hand one is for data. Mm. We've got three switches at, at the very bottom row. The first one is the phantom power, um, which you need on if you're using these little... What were these microphones called? The pivot mics, the PM1 from Centrance. Yeah. And yeah, they, we plugged them in. We didn't have phantom power. Then I switched the phantom power on and boof, man, they were working. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so phantom power is off by default, off is on the left. And, and when you switch phantom power on, you're supplying phantom power to both channels. Yeah, yep. you, 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 can, you can't do it to just one. Right. After that is the monitor stereo mono switch. So it's stereo by default. Um, yeah, and that's quite nice because if you're connecting one microphone, as I was to do the introduction to this review, then it's only going to come in one ear unless you switch it to mono. But for something like this, I'm really enjoying the stereo imagery. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And then finally is the level of the line out. So it's just a binary low or high. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like it's set to high by default. So it's a very straightforward device. Um, the preamps on this thing are just absolutely gorgeous. It exudes quality, doesn't it? I mean, when you pick it up, you just think, 
wow, this is a premium thing. It does, yeah. I think that like having no screens, just entirely hardware switches, does make something feel just a lot more premium. It feels like it's going to last a long time. Which is the exact opposite. Do you remember the last time you and I did a review like this Mm. was for the Zoom mic track, and we were talking about how sort of Fisher-Price and rinky-dink it was. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) When I got this, when Centrant sent it to me, I immediately thought of giving you a call to come and be a part of this review because you're an audio guy, you're an audio mm. engineer, but and you like the whole kind of analog experience as well. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So it's quite good. But it also, like, it's held together entirely by visible screws, which is a really good thing in this day and age with the right to repair, because I feel like if, say, the internal battery on this died, you could theoretically open it up quite easily and assuming they sell replacement batteries, put a new one in, which is not very common with a lot of things these days. One thing you'd also appreciate is we are recording in 48 kilohertz, 24-bit. Mm, yeah. That is good. So a bit of a cut above some of the podcast recorders in this space. Is that the uh, the only option? It I, is. Yeah. Yep, that's what it records in. Okay. So there is a postscript to this, mm. and that is that the knob for the mono stereo blend when it's all the way to the left, it's on full mono. And that's the recording that we just made. So for those who are confused when I was going on about how I liked the stereo image, you weren't getting that because if you want full stereo, you've got to have that knob, which is the second from the top left, all the way over to the right to get stereo. So you can say something now, Richard. Yeah, I'll say something now. I I think that maybe it it would be better if the, the monitoring reflected that, but it's fine. Yeah, I guess so. I guess they're making a distinction between what's going out to the world and what you are hearing. But Mm. I guess what you want to hear is what's going out to the world, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I have seen other reviewers who've said, well, yeah, this is kind of interesting. You've got to get your head around it. So that's why you didn't get the beautiful stereo image. And we're not going to sit here and do all that again, (laughs) (laughs) just just for the stereo image. But you can hear um, what it's like now. All right, well, we've done that, and uh, we'll go back into the studio. And actually, before we go back into the studio, I am still upstairs, and this time I'm using a Samson Q2U, so this is a very gainful mic. I've got the pots way down here because you don't need too much to drive the Samson Q2U. And I want to just clarify one thing that we missed out, and it's a pretty critical thing when we were going through the layout, and that is... Right below the headphone jack on a kind of a slight angle to the right, at the bottom front right of the unit, there is a really important button we left out, and that is the power button. So plug your headphones in right below and slightly to the right, you will find the power button press that for a couple of seconds to turn it on. If you've got headphones connected, you'll hear a click. Uh, Press it again for roughly the same amount of time to switch it off. So that's a pretty critical thing to know where it is and how to power it up. Now, I have a TRRS cable connected to the iPhone and the Portcaster, and I have switched over the little tiny micro switch so that channel two is now acting as the TRRS channel connected to my iPhone. And on a FaceTime audio call, I have none other than Bonnie Mosen. Welcome to you, Bonnie. Hello. You're able to hear me okay? 
I can. I can hear you perfectly. Right. And we are recording and you've kind of got a portable studio here. So if you want to record interviews in the field, then you can do this just by recording either into your digital audio workstation or like we're doing, recording onto the SD card using the little portcaster. What do you think of this? Because you've held it, haven't you? You've had it in your hand. It's very cute. Yeah, Yeah, it's very cute. Very small and light. Very small and light. Yep. And you're talking on your iPhone 15 Pro Max? I am Pro Max for live from the couch. (laughs) You enjoying that? Yeah. Yeah, it's much faster. I got a screen protector for it today. So you actually do notice the difference between the 13 Pro Max and the 15 Pro Max in terms of performance? Yeah. Yeah. Seems like it's faster. Yeah. Very good. Well, this is working well, and we're just recording onto the SD card all cabled up to the iPhone, and it's working absolutely flawlessly, and Bonnie's getting a mix minus signal from the device. So thank you for helping us test this. Oh, thank you. Goodbye. Go out and buy it, everyone. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> and you can hear that voiceover is working here as well. And that means that if you want to, you could record a screen reader demo with this. And if you've got the stereo mono blend all the way to the right, it means that the iPhone track will be completely separate and you'll be able to split the stereo file that the broadcaster is creating. And then you can do EQ and balancing of levels and everything in a tool like Reaper. And now we really are going to take the podcaster back into the studio for some final thoughts. And whoosh, we are indeed in the studio. Just to mix it up a bit, I am concluding this review in Reaper and I'm connected to Windows. To do this, to record in Windows, you will have to go to the Centrance website and install their driver. If you don't do this, you won't find any recording options available for Portcaster and other Centrance devices. You will be able to plug and play for playback, but you won't be able to do any recording or streaming unless you install the drivers. When you do, it's visible to the system in Windows, and also there is ACO compatibility for apps that support that, I was unable to get Reaper to talk to the ACO driver. It kept coming back with an error opening device. If I play with it a bit more, I may be able to get it to work. But for now, I'm just using the built-in Windows support and the latency is still pretty good. First, some updates from Centrance, whose chief executive has been very responsive and patient as I've been putting this review together. I am correct that Portcaster does use FAT32. They highly recommend formatting the SD card in the unit itself. If you follow the steps that we outlined earlier in this review, when Richard was explaining that you really should have no problem, it's reasonably straightforward and it's not something that you have to do often. While Portcaster should come with the date and time pre-programmed, there is a cool trick that allows you to program it, and these are the steps that you follow. First, on your computer, you create a blank file called r4time.txt. That's a capital R, the number 4, and then time all in uppercase .txt. And you put that in the root of your SD card. So don't put it in the R4 folder that's created, just in the root of the SD card. Then you put the card into your broadcaster, and then you turn the unit on. That's all you have to do. At this point, the unit should have the correct time and date for recording. When you contrast that with the hoops we have to go through that are not accessible to set the date and time on some recorders, that's pretty cool. You can even verify that it has worked because if it has taken the date and time from this blank file, then the file will disappear. And that's a sign that the broadcaster has programmed itself correctly. 
To conclude, I'll offer you some pros and cons and a few comparisons. The closest thing to Portcaster that we've covered on this podcast would be the Zoom PodTrack P4. Since it's designed for recording the spoken word and particularly for podcasting. And like Podcaster, the Zoom PodTrack P4 can be used as an audio interface and a standalone recorder. I won't make many comparisons with audio interfaces in a similar space that don't offer independent recording, like the Focusrite Vocaster or the Audient Evo 4. Other than to say that if you don't do any recording in the field, there are other options around that cost less and might meet your needs better. For example, neither the PodTrack nor the Portcaster offers loopback, which for recording screen-reader demos on Windows or Mac may be very useful. So consider your requirements carefully, because we now have a range of choices that we can work with, and that is a great place to be. So, some pros and cons. Portcaster is a rugged, small unit, and it feels like it'll withstand heavy-duty recording in the field for years. That's important because if you're going to throw this in a backpack or even a suitcase, you need something that's going to withstand the rigors of being mobile. Just the other day, I was talking to a blind podcaster who said that their PodTrack P4 was suffering from wear and tear. So Portcaster is a bit more of an initial outlay, that's for sure. But if it does enough to meet your requirements, you might consider it an investment and you'll probably come out on the right side of the equation in the long term. The P4 only records in CD quality, so 44 kilohertz, 16-bit. Portcaster records in 48 kilohertz, 24-bit, giving you some more headroom. The P4 offers four tracks, while the Portcaster only offers two. So when you make a purchase, you'll have to think carefully about how much capacity you really need. If you'll only ever record one-on-one interviews, be it an in-person guest or with a remote caller, then the Portcaster will meet your needs. There are also other ways to get to local guests and many remote guests. For my podcasting work, I use CleanFeed, which we've covered on this podcast before. It's a broadcast quality service designed for audio professionals to make great recordings. If you connect Portcaster to a Windows or Mac computer, you can use both channels to record in person while using CleanFeed's own built-in multi-track recorder to bring in as many remote guests as you need, each on their own track. And indeed, I've tried this with Portcaster. It works a treat. While the Portcaster has one mix minus via a TRRS cable, the PodTrack P4 actually has two mix minuses. There's one available to the TRRS cable, but there's also one for USB as well. The PodTrack is therefore going to allow you to record guests from different sources, one from the phone, another, say, from Zoom or some PC or Mac-based option, plus a couple of local guests, and Mix Minus is applied appropriately in all cases. That is a pretty compelling use case. The whole thing can be recorded onto the SD card in separate tracks as well. So that makes the PodTrack very powerful and versatile. With more features, of course comes more complexity, so you need to give careful thought to whether this scenario is one you really need to accommodate. Some people will, but many people will not. If you find yourself regularly making recordings with three or four people in them, then Portcaster may not meet your use case. In terms of accessibility, well, the lack of menus to navigate is a big win for Portcaster. As we all know, when we take many Zoom recorders out of the box, 
We can't get anything done at all until we've set the date and time via a process that is not accessible. There are occasions when that date and time, for various reasons, might reset. The P4 offers a series of buttons that allow you to play sound effects and other elements in your podcast. These can be convenient, but programming them is a bit fiddly for a blind person. You can do it, though. Podcaster allows you to connect an auxiliary device for inclusion of elements on your show. As I said earlier, this could even be something like a Sense Player or a Victor Reader Stream. So it could be a bit more accessible while not being nearly as simple as pressing a button with a pre-programmed file. Podcaster has only one headphone output, despite the fact that you might be interviewing a second local guest. The Podtrack P4 has four headphone outputs, each with its own independent volume control. So if you're going to be recording regularly with someone who wants to hear the audio as it's being recorded, then this could be a very strong case for the Podtrack. You can use a splitter, of course, with the Podcaster, but that generally won't give you independent control of the volume for each pair of headphones. If you're going to be sending out a live stream of your audio, Podcaster's ability to blend both channels to a mono signal is a very nice feature. Podcaster is so small and simple to use that I see it being a great companion for, say, consumer organizations who want to give their affiliates a simple tool to stream local conferences and conventions. You could easily mix an audio of a commentator or a compare on the stream with the house audio and send it out as a mono source to the stream. In an environment like that, where there can be wild volume fluctuations, the high-quality limiter in Portcaster can really help. Portcaster's built-in battery is both a pro and a con, in my view. It's nice not to have to carry sets of batteries around with you, and you should be able to get around six to eight hours of recording. But if there's a need to just keep on going, being able to insert a fresh set of batteries is a plus for the Podtrack P4. You can, of course, take a portable battery pack with you, and it's no problem to connect it to the USB-C port designed specifically for powering Portcaster. What's nice is that when you use an external power bank like that, you are charging the unit's battery. The limiter in Portcaster is beautiful, and that's not a word that I would use very often in an audio review, but it really is. First, while the little recessed switches are a bit of a nuisance to change, as a blind person, you can tell easily whether the limiter is on or whether it's off for each channel. When it's on, it's not too aggressive or punchy or breathy. I've seen several complaints on forums around the internet about noise from the Podtrack P4 when the limiter is on. The limiter in Portcaster is superb. And perhaps it compensates to some degree, particularly in the spoken word context, for the fact that this is not a 32-bit float recorder. Nor, to be clear, is the P4. Now, there are some Zoom recorders that offer 32-bit float, such as the F3, the F6, and the MicTrack M1, all of which we reviewed on this podcast. But they're not really geared squarely at the podcasting market, so you lose some of the podcasting features like TRRS and the buttons to play files. If you want to change the limiter on the PodTrack P4, you have to go into the P4's menu system to toggle its limiter. It can be done, but you've got to do a bit more memorizing. Your ears will help you out here, of course. You'll be able to tell when the limiter is on. 
The same is true of what Portcaster calls the high-pass filter and what the Podtrack P4 calls the low-cut filter. It's handled with a switch on the Portcaster via the menu in the P4. Also, once you start recording on the P4, even if you can see the menu system, you can't change the status of the high-pass filter or the limiter, but you can do that with the Portcaster due to the physical switches. The P4 boasts 70 dB of gain, while the Portcaster has 65. I'm not really sure that the additional 5 dB is that important, and the preamps on the Portcaster are, again, beautiful. I've got lots of gain to spare, again, recording into Reaper with the Heil PR40 now plugged directly into the Portcaster, which is how we're recording this now. Now, tragic that I am, I enjoy reading user guides, and there's not too much of a user guide to speak of with Portcaster. It does have a quick start guide, which pretty much tells you all you need to know if you're comfortable with audio gear. Unfortunately, it is in an inaccessible JPEG format at the moment, but I feel sure that's easily remedied, and that if enough blind people flock to Sentrance buying Portcasters and you want the quick start guide, then that can be made available in some sort of textual format. In short, I would say that the Portcaster does fewer things if you were to write down a list of things that each device does, but the things that Portcaster chooses to do, it does better and more accessibly. It's also a much higher quality product in terms of its build and its components. There are a few things that might be done in a future iteration that would make the hardware even more accessible. First, a power button that pressed in so you could tell tactually whether it's powered on or not, would be super. There's no audible or tactile indication that you're recording either. But if you're in doubt, you can repeatedly press record, and once you're recording, repeatedly pressing it will have no effect. It's always a good idea to make a quick test recording before you get into the real thing. As I've mentioned, I'm not a fan of the recessed switches, particularly for a function so important as switching the function of channel 2. Many blind people don't bother carrying pens around with them, so you have to go searching for something that'll allow you to change them. All that said, I have become a fan of this little powerhouse. It knows what market segment it's going after, and it does it well with top-notch components and robust construction. If you understand its benefits and its limitations, because every product has them, and you understand whether it will meet your needs, I think you'll be happy with your purchase. It is a pricey purchase, though. It comes in at 549 US dollars. You may be able to find it a little cheaper elsewhere. If you'd like to know more information about the Portcaster, you can visit centrance.com. That's C-E-N-T-R-A-N-C-E dot com. 